cuando veáis que sucedan estas cosas. Conocer que está cerca. A las puertas. Good morning, Waters Church. So good to see you guys. Uh, I want to just express a heartfelt gratitude to this church for how on board you are with what we are doing with planting locations across the world and uh, in this nation. You know, you think about how many churches uh, just stalled out because of COVID, but our church just moved forward and advanced even faster than it had been before the pandemic. I thank you for that, being on board. You're okay with video messages. You're doing such a great job with that. Um, I've been having to spend a little bit more time giving a little bit more attention to Florida, and they're not going to hear this, but you're going to hear this. And I just thank you for that. We planted a church 1,200 miles away. That's not an easy thing to do. Um, and then, and, and, and when there's a church plant, and we talked about this the first Tuesday, the devil doesn't want the church there. Can I get a good amen right there? And, and so we're seeing the devil uh, attack, but we're seeing so many other positive things move forward in the right direction, and we took some steps, we made some changes, and God is doing some great things. Already we feel the Spirit has changed, and the Lord is on, on the move down there. I want to thank you for allowing me to do that. Can I just say thank you for allowing me and my wife to do that? I can't express it enough. You guys are great, and uh, it's not that I'm going to go down there permanently and never come up here. That's not going to happen, but there are going to be seasons, and, and one day soon we're going to have a church in North Carolina. I believe it by faith. I believe we're going to have a church in Tennessee. I do believe it by faith, and uh, we're going we're gonna to reach them southerners for Jesus. Hallelujah. And uh, we're going ha- to teach them how to talk like this, yes. And uh, we're going we're gonna to bring the gospel n- around the country. Uh, I feel like this is what God has put in our church, and I, and I know that great things are on the way. I know that Josh Vining is watching right now with his lovely wife, Michelle. Can you guys give them a hand? We're going to have a church down there with you guys. We love you guys. He wanted me to tell you that if any of you want to move down to the North Carolina area, uh, hook him up and, uh, or, or hook up with him and get in contact with him and, and join the church movement, okay? But if you are a big giver, don't. Amen. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Speaking of giving, okay, let's get on to that. Um, you know, inflation's killing everybody. It's tough. What can we do? Tough, tough, tough. Um, it's killing a little bit of our budget for Tiverton. So we have a, we have a gap. Uh, what we budgeted for, build out there. There's always an addition. We always budget for that addition because there's always last-minute things that happen, and you never know what a fire department is going to say about your assembly space. And so they came in and said a bunch of stuff that we didn't expect. Well, we expect that, and we budget for that. But with inflationary costs on building materials, it's all gone up. Everything's gone up. So here's what I'm asking for you to do. Can, can some of you give, again, to For the Sake of the One, above and beyond your tithes and offerings. Uh, For the Sake of the One was our giving campaign last year, if you remember uh, with me. Um, You did such a great job. It was one of our most successful campaigns, one of our quickest campaigns, but with the inflationary cost, would you help us out there? It's about a fifty dollars to $60,000 gap. We could dip into a lot of our other options, but we don't want to do that. We always have to have a nest egg, little little savings for emergency purposes. But, But if you can do that, if it's on someone's heart, if the Lord's stirring you right now, as Paul the Apostle says, not out of grudging, not out of, uh, you know, a, a sense of guilt, not at, anything like that. God loves a cheerful giver. 
All right, so if you want to cheerfully help us meet that gap, amen. Thank you so much for the sake of the one in the memo line or on the memo line on your online giving, whatever you want to say. And uh, we'll get that camp is done. It is close to being completed. We're about to send Medi, who is our MC down there, and we have a bunch of people ready to join the church when it opens. I'm so excited. So it's going to happen. That would help us out. Thank you so much if you do that. Okay. We want to say welcome to everybody who's watching on video. We want to say hello to Woonsocket. Hello to Apollo Beach. Hello to Guatemala. Hello to Norwood. Hello to our future location in Fall River, Tiverton, Massachusetts, or Tiverton, Rhode Island, Fall River, Massachusetts. And everybody online around the world and everybody here, let's give them a big hand and welcome them in. And you guys, welcome us in. We're so glad to be with you. Last days, part three. Everybody take out your notes. It looks like this if you're in-house. Notes look like this. And we want you to fill in the blanks and follow along with us. And take out your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 25. Or a smartphone Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to get into a topic here that, that I want to speak on regarding the last days. You know, we talked about Israel in, in a week one of this series. We talked about the world. We talked about Antichrist in week two uh, of this series, but we haven't talked about this, the church, the church of the last days. What does the church of the last days look like? And, and we don't have to guess because Jesus knows what the church will look like, and he tells us what that church looks like in Matthew chapter 25. And he doesn't tell us these things to scare us. He tells us to prepare us. Not a single thing about the last days is intended to strike fear in the heart of God's people. But all that we are given about, you know, 30% of this book is prophecy, 15% of it is about the second coming, not the first coming of Jesus. All that amount of biblical material regarding his second coming is not there to strike fear in our hearts, is to give us an anticipation that Jesus could come at any moment. That the Lord is waiting for the Father to tell him, son, go get your bride, the bride, the church of Jesus. And we could be with Jesus by 6 p.m. tonight. How many of you would be on board with that? Yeah. How many of you are like, well, I kind of like my job. You're like, uh, give it time. But hardly anybody, right? He could come tonight. But here's what I want to talk to you about today. Prepared for the last days. Yes, there's going to be global chaos, worldwide deception, an anti-Christ spirit. With, if you remember, anti meaning replacement Christ. There's going to be a replacement Christian faith on the world, on the world stage. There's going to be a dictator beast. There's going to be this world leader. There's going to be this global panic. War, blood, guts. It's a Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger movie wrapped into one. It's going to be mega mayhem. But there's going to be a church standing for Jesus right in the middle of all of it. Because the Lord always gives his church the strength he, that they need to stand up for him. So I want to talk to you on being prepared for the last days. Would you stand with me at all of our locations Matthew 24, if you remember, we've been talking about that passage. When it talks about 
the darkness and the dread and the wars and the birth pains and the plagues and the famines. Again, action flick, all the end times action flicks wrapped into one, Matthew 24. But Matthew 25 is connected to Matthew 24, not just chronologically, but with a connecting word. And the connecting word is right there, the very first word of Matthew 25. The word is, if you have your Bibles open, then. Somebody say, then. So Matthew 24, blood, guts, war, famines, plagues, pestilence, signs of the times, earthquakes, right? Then, on the heels of all that, or as that's happening, then, here's what it says. The kingdom of heaven will be like. The kingdom of heaven refers to you and I. We're part of the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven will be like, what? Ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were what? Foolish. The word in Greek is moros, from which we get the English moron. Isn't that funny? I love Jesus' sense of humor. Five of the virgins were morons. Oh, I like that. And five were what? Wise. And then it says this. For uh, when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But when the wise took their lamps... It says that they took oil in their flasks. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready, somebody say ready. Ready. Yeah, those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the doors were shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know not whether the day, you know neither the day nor the hour. And this is God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, speak to your church. Speak to your bride May we have wisdom around what we see and hear so that we are ready and help us in this moment to be equally as prepared in that moment to see Jesus. In his mighty name we pray and everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. What, what is this parable about? What is this weird parable, ten virgins, Five morons, five wise, delayed wedding banquet. What is, go what is Jesus trying to tell us? He's trying to show us what does a last day's church look like? On your notes, I've got a one-word answer to that question. I want you to fill in the blank. All locations, take out your notes. If you see someone not taking notes, just tell them don't be a moron. And, and here's what I want you to write down. What does a last day's church look like? One word, ready? Ready. Ready? Ready. <laughs> Ready. A last church, a last day's church. 
So we've, we've talked about the world, global chaos. And in so many ways, we see the birth pains now. Famines, pestilence, plagues, earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, all these kind of things we talked about in week two. We, we've seen the, 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 the ability of government to manipulate news and control the narrative so that they can control your lives. We've watched this. We've witnessed this for two plus years. We've seen the, 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 the mandates and the passports and all the things that are going to kind of like lead to the mark of the beast. And it's like, it's like everything is being set. The table's being set. And, and, and we can look at the world and, and we can freak out and we can think, wow, the world's getting bad. And it is. But what we really need to do is say, how's my heart? Am I, what? Ready. You need to be ready to receive Jesus when he comes and I want you to notice that the first parable on that word, then. Let's, let's put that up, verse 1 of Matthew 25. Then, then the king. When, when the days of the Lord return is at hand, the church will look like this. Five and five. Five will be ready and five will not be. Now, any mathematicians in the house, and you don't even need to really be one, to tell me what percentage of five is, what percentage of 10 is five? 50%. It's even in the number. 50, right? Five, 50. Here's what Jesus is saying. 50% of my church professing Christians will be ready. Here's the sad part. 50% won't be. 50% of the people who claim to know Jesus won't be ready. Why? Because it's going to get hard. It's going to get difficult. The world is going to continue to get darker. Look at what it says here in Luke 21, 36. It's on your notes. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to what? Escape all these things that are going to what? Take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now there is. And now, oh, oh gosh. All right. Let me just. Oh, I am going to make some enemies today. I know. There is a theological structure. It has to be read into the text. It's a. It's a very recent doctrine, and it teaches many Christians that don't worry about the end because we're going to go away before it all happens. It's called the secret rapture. And some of you are banking on that. You're banking on it because instead of reading the Bible, you're playing Halo. What is this, 1996? You're playing, I don't know, whatever the newest game is. And you're just like, no, I don't worry about that because Jesus is going to get me out of this whole thing and I'm going to miss all of them. The tribulation is not part of my life. Okay. Are you sure? Because Jesus says in Luke 21, pray that you will have the strength. Why would you need strength if you're going to get rescued? Pray that you have the strength to escape. Why would you need to escape if you're, going to go, if you're not going to be there? Why would God ask you to pray that you would have the strength to escape? And if, does it take strength to get raptured? No. That's what he would do. He does that. Strength to escape means you've got to be strong to be prepared. Strong in your faith, not a weak Christian. Let me give you another passage. Because this question came up on my YouTube channel, 10 Questions with Tim, and I know a lot of you tune in and they ask this question. I know what you believe about the rapture, but can you give me some passages? And I want to show you this passage. And here's what it says in 2 Thessalonians 1.6. God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Now look at this next line. And to grant, what? Relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when... 
The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who did not know God and on those who did not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believe because of our testimony to you was believed. Why on earth would we need relief when Jesus comes, if we're already with him. I know I'm making some enemies right now. That's why you're not so amening me right now. <laughs> I wanted to tell you that on regards to the rapture and this secret rapture theology, I pray you're right, but I don't think you are. And so I'm praying that you're ready. Because it's not going to be a joke. And it's going to get tougher. And the Lord Jesus is coming back to give us relief. And right now he can give you strength to escape. And not to be sucked up by the world. And this is the picture that Jesus paints for us in Matthew 25, on the heels of Matthew 24. Theologians call it the Olivet Discourse because he was on the Mount of Olives. By the way, the Mount of Olives is where he's coming back. It's across the Kidron Valley from the temple. He will come back on the very same mountain that he prayed his last prayer before he went to the cross. And he is telling us that when it comes to that time, many of the church will be asleep and unprepared. Half, in fact. And I don't want you to be that church. I don't want you to be that church. I want you to be ready. The kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. We have to understand how weddings went down in the first century in Jewish culture. It's a three-stage process. Step one, the dads would get together and arrange the marriage. The dad of the girl and the dad of the guy. I think we need to get back to biblical standards in this church. <laughs> the father of a 20-year-old girl speaking to you right now. Come on. Some of you know this from your own life's experience. I wish I had listened to somebody when I married this person. But in the old ancient world, and even still in many parts of this world, there's something called arranged marriages where mom and dad tell you, this is who you're going to marry. Like our individualistic, highly individualistic American ideals freak out at that. Like, no, not that. But most of the world has been like this. Most of the world has been like this before America got here and decided that you could be you. <laughs> okay, so they would arrange a step one. Then there would be, number two, a betrothal. Betrothal was not a highly choreographed Instagram post with the man on his knee and the woman blushing like she's surprised, pretending to be surprised because they ordered the cameraman to be there. <laughs> the betrothal was they would make vows to each other. We're going to marry each other. We're going to be true to each other. And then step three, the, well, step two, this is the process. They would separate for a year but they were officially married. To break that off would be considered divorce. When Mary becomes pregnant with Jesus, it's in that one-year period between the betrothal and the consummation. That's why it says that Joseph 
assumed that she had had sex with somebody, and, she, and he thought to divorce her quietly. And, that, and it says he was a righteous man because he was going to do it quietly when actually the tradition was to do it shamefully because there was nothing more shameful than to be betrothed to another man and then get pregnant by another man. So a one-year separation. What would the dude be doing during that one year? Dads of girls, you're going to love this. He was getting a job. He was working, sweating, building a house because you can't bring a bride into your parents' basement. <laughs> Come on, somebody, am I preaching now? I don't, know, I, I don't know why we think we're so advanced in this culture. We're so smarter than the ancient world. We're so smarter. Yeah, come and live with me and my parents. We'll play Halo. <laughs> Smoke some reefer. It'll be fun. No, no. He would work. He would build his house. He would get that ready. Do you know why? Because he valued her. And so then he would, one year later, have this processional and they would march from the bridegroom's house to the bride's father's house. And it was a big celebration. And usually it was at night, and they would have torches so that everybody could just watch. It was like the fireworks on the 4th of July. Everybody could just watch this glory. And there was nothing more exciting in an ancient world village than a Jewish wedding because it would be filled with lights and dancing and everybody celebrating. And they would take the bride from her father's house, and they would link up together and walk back to the, to the new husband's home with all of the bridesmaids with their torches lit. And it was just an exciting time. But the bridesmaids had to be ready, all dressed the same, ready to receive the groom when he was about to come so that they could all celebrate and then enter into the celebration. And a wedding feast in Jewish days was not four hours on a Saturday at the country club. It was seven full days. The whole village was involved. It was a party. It was glorious, and that's where we're headed at the last day, the wedding supper of the Lamb, a glorious party and celebration in heaven with Jesus and all the saints of old forever. But as Jesus says, this, this is the, 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 the look that I would just see. And here's what would happen. And, and sometimes the bridegroom would get a little bit delayed or, or something would happen and it would be a little bit of a wait. And here's what happens in this moment. He delays until midnight. And, and, and then something exposes in the hearts of those bridesmaids. Verse 2, five were foolish, five were wise. What was the difference? The foolish ones took oil for their lamps. They were ready for the delay. The, the foolish said, no, 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 no need. We're good. We feel like the Lord might be here enough to, in, in time. Or, you know, no, no, no worries. We'll, we'll be fine. And what, what you have to understand is this is a picture of, of what we must be in our hearts regarding Jesus' return. And I want to give you three ideas about this, about being ready. Because I think there is so much of our time as a church that is moronically spent on things that don't matter. And we need to be people who focus on what does. Point number one. It won't matter how you look on the outside. It matters what's on the inside. All ten virgins would wear white garments. They would all be given these garments by the wedding coordinators in those days. And it was really strict because the wedding coordinator was Jewish. 
<laughs> just letting you know. Okay, anyway, um, they were very structured weddings, and so they were all wearing white. They were all wearing white gowns to accompany the bridegroom. And they all looked the same. They all had the appearance of preparedness, but not all of them were. And, and I think about the last day's church. We've got to not just look the part. We've got to have it settled in our heart that Jesus is Lord, that he's Lord here, that I, that I march to the beat of my heavenly drummer, that I'm a citizen not of America or Guatemala. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm not supposed to fit in. I'm not supposed to blend in. I am not supposed to go with the flow. There's something in my heart. Something happened to me. Listen, Christianity is not some momentary emotional attachment to a cute story in the sermon. Are you following me? Christianity is not a three-week preparation period for your baptism testimony where you actually go through the process of getting baptized, post it to your Facebook for all the likes and the follows so that everybody can say, ooh, happy hands, praise hands, wow, look at you, and then you check out for five years because you think, I crossed that T, dotted that I, I'm good. Baptism is not graduation, it's inauguration. It's getting started. It's just the first step. That's why you got to go all the way under on that water. That's why you got to get completely soaked. We don't believe in this church. A little dabble, do you? We believe in total immersion. Because what that is saying is I am all in. I am following Jesus. Doesn't mean I'm always going to be perfect. Doesn't mean I'm always going to be obedient. Doesn't mean I'm always going to make the right decision. I'm a work in progress. I'm a sinner, yet I am a saint at the same time. But when the rubber hits the road, and when it starts to cost me, and when people start to hate me, and people start to mock me, or it's inconvenient for me, I'm following Jesus. Amen. Following Jesus. Because there's something on the inside. You would, in the ancient world, you'd trim the lamp, and the, and the wick would come up. You'd trim the lamp. The wick would come up. Think about the word trimming. How we like to trim. We get our yards trim. We trim our hair. Even some people refer to getting your clothes trimmed, tailored, because we want to look good on the outside. We want to have this appearance of having our lives together. And some of you today, before you came to church, most of you, you cut your hair or you combed your hair. I'm sorry, you combed your hair and you got your clothes on and you put on deodorant. And I want to say thank you for that. Don't stop that. Nothing wrong with that, but how's your heart? How's your heart today? How's, how's this going? Are you weighed down with cares? Are you stressed about a meeting coming up on Monday? Are you, are you overwhelmed with how your kid is reacting to you or what he's doing with his life? Could I, could I suggest that maybe unintentionally and, un, and subconsciously you've allowed your heart to get married to this age? You're too tied up in the things, the cares, the worries of this world. 
You're too stressed out about your job performance because you think that your job performance makes you everything that you are, and, or, or you think that your kids' performance is everything that you are, and so having good, perfect, beautiful, you know, American kids is going to make everything better for you. It's going to validate your parental life or whatever, or, your, or you think that your marriage has to look good to everybody around you, and so you have to put on your face, but behind closed doors is a different story. You've got to put on the face so that everybody thinks you're better than you really are, and, and all that is is just trimming our lamps. But if there's no oil inside, it's just useless appearance. And this is what Jesus says, half the church, five virgins, they will be focused all on the external, but not on the internal. In some ways, we all made an external decision to be here today. And, and this is an external decision to be at one of our locations, but, but can I tell you, that you've got to know that there is a depth to Christianity in this church that is far beyond attending the weekend services. We, we have small groups on, on, on the week to get together with other Christians. We ask you to serve and get involved. There's something called action groups down in Apollo Beach. There's men's night on uh, Monday, women's night on Wednesday as we develop small group leaders for the future of that location. And, and then we have mission trips beyond this country. And, and then we have ways that you can give your life away because you know that your life does not, is not the measurement of your income or your savings account. Your life is not measured by the treasures that you have here on this earth, but by the eternal treasures that you have sent on ahead to the next life through giving and sharing what God puts in your lap. That's, that's being prepared for there and not obsessed with here. I think about how we judge people by how they look on the outside, and God doesn't give a rip about that. Doesn't give a rip. I think about Samuel going to Jesse's house in 1 Samuel 16 to find the next king of Israel. And it says when they came, they looked on Eliab, the firstborn son of Jesse, and, and, and Samuel thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is here. Eliab, he probably was clean cut, tall, muscular, dynamic face, facial figures, excellently trimmed, put together. But the Lord said to Daniel, uh, Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, for I have rejected him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. The Lord looks, the, the man looks on the outward, but the Lord looks on the heart. Oh, you do a lot of outward maintenance, but can I ask you, are you doing some inward maintenance? Are you confessing your sins to the Lord and maybe to somebody else because you can't get over it yourself? You know, some sins got to be confessed to others. Are you, are you sharing your life, your home with other Christians? Are you opening your life up to ministering to people who are like-minded with you? Are, are you reading the scriptures? Are you engaged in the Bible? When it talks about foolishness, I think about how much foolishness is wrapped up in that, about just avoiding God's word. And then, and then here's, here's a great question. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Are you full of the Holy Spirit? We're going to get to that in just a moment. But what I'm trying to tell you is don't, don't think that it's about all of this external stuff that's just a distraction because you can have everything. The Bible says, Jesus said, you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. You gain nothing. So it's inside. How's the heart doing? How's the heart doing? Are you ready 
for Jesus to come. Number two, it won't matter what people think of you. It matters what you think inside of you. The scriptures talk about as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What is your thought process? How do you think? And most of the time, we spend an inordinate amount of time worrying about what other people think about us. Right? I really think about that when, we, when we're in sixth grade, it starts. It's something about sixth grade, it all starts. We all separated our little groups. Jocks and nerds and dweebs and losers. And we start to worry. The, 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 the famous first time at the lunch cafeteria. Who am I going to sit with? Well, I don't want to sit with the dweebs. That locks me in for the next seven years with the dweebs. Right? I want to sit with the cool people. You're thinking. We're trying to think. And then when, I don't know if I want to date that person. What would people think if I date that person? I don't know. What would people think if, I, if I'm too expressive of my Christianity? How about this one? What, what would people think if I bow my head in prayer before I eat in the public restaurant? It's a small thing, isn't it? Dads, lead your family in prayer before you eat at the restaurant. Yeah, what about that? Like, oh, I don't know. What would people think? Who cares? Here's the reality. They aren't actually thinking about you. <laughs> Eleanor Roosevelt famously said that. We would be far less concerned with what other people think about us if we realized how little they actually think about us. And, and I think it's time for the church to think about that a lot. Who cares what they think? Who cares? Uh, the only opinion of my life that matters is the opinion of my Father in heaven. Am I walking with him, talking with him, living with him? Don't worry about what people think. Don't worry about what people say about you. The scripture says five were foolish, five were wise. And this word wise, it doesn't just speak of having wisdom for life. The scriptures are clear that this is how you get wisdom. This is how you get wisdom. Are you ready for it? Got a couple passages for you. Matthew 7, 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. In other words, if you want to be a fool, hear what I'm saying, but don't do it. Believe the Bible, but never read it. Believe in Jesus, but never take time to examine him and trust that what he is is what you need so as to point you back to the scriptures and, the, and time with him. The Bible in that passage in Matthew 7 goes on and it talks about how, but the wise man is the one who hears the words of Jesus and does them. Don't just listen. Don't just be a hearer of the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. When you, when you want to be blessed, do what God says. Don't just hear about giving. Give. Don't, don't pray about sponsoring children through compassion. Do it. Don't pray about going to church. Do it. I'm always amazed, humored really, by the number of Christians who pray about things that God has said to do. I know I should forgive them, but I need to pray about it. Why? Jesus said, if you don't forgive in your heart, your brother, your father in heaven won't forgive your sins. That's pretty serious. Like, that's not something that I want to, like, put on my coffee cup. Anybody with me on that? But it's in the scriptures. It's what Jesus is talking about. 
And, you know, how about bitterness? Not letting bitterness take root in your heart. There's a scripture about that. Don't let bitterness start to take a root in your heart. How many of us let little insults and slights from the past start to become these little things that we carry around like we're justified now to be angry with people? Angry with people all the time because we've got bitterness in our heart. And, and, and scripture talk, don't let that happen. Well, let me pray about it. No! Do it. Like, confess. I've got a bitterness, Lord. I hate some people. I want them murdered. But Lord, this is not right. It's my evil, sinful nature. And I'm asking you to forgive me and cleanse me and make me a new person because I cannot do this without you. Scripture says in Romans chapter 1 that although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Now think about that. They knew God, but they did not honor God. What are we doing today at our churches? What are we doing right now? We are honoring God by giving him the first fruits of our week. This is day one of this week. You are honoring God now. Good. Amen. How about give thanks to him? Praise him. Glorify him. With your mouth, with your hands, when we sing, when we worship, we are giving thanks to God. He got us up in the morning. We've got air in our lungs. We've got blood flowing through our veins. We've got something to look forward to when the second coming. Jesus is still on the throne. The grave is still empty. The devil is still defeated. Hell is not my future. Praise the Lord. It's good to give thanks to the Lord. And it says they, did not, they became futile. When they didn't give thanks, they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Thanksgiving keeps you from being darkened in your heart. Thanksgiving keeps you from being darkened in your heart. Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Knowledge. knowledge. You want to get knowledge? You want to know what to do with your life? Fear the Lord. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I think about the first thing that the Lord wants, I'm sorry, the first thing the enemy wants to do is to get you to distrust this book. That's really his first temptation. You know what the first temptation was? You know, we, we think about Eve and the, and the serpent, and everybody assumes it was an apple. The Bible doesn't, the Bible doesn't say it was an apple. What, what was it? We don't know. It was a fruit. It was a forbidden fruit. We think that the first temptation was the forbidden fruit. That's not the first temptation. Back it up in the text. Because here's what the first temptation was. Write it down. The first temptation was deception. Deception. The first temptation, put that on the screen, guys, was deception. I want to show you from the text in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts that, of the field that the Lord God made. He said to the woman, here's the first temptation. Did God actually say? In other words, is that, is that what the Lord said? Are you sure? How many, of, how many Christians today are questioning this book and still claiming to be Christians? This book is our authority. This book has stood the test of time. Nations have risen and fallen. Caesars have come and gone. They used to rule. Caesars used to rule the world. Today they are a salad. <laughs> 2,000 years from now, they're going to be eating Democrat salads and Republican salads because they're not really in charge. Jesus is in charge. The Word of God stands the test of time. The Bible says that all men be lies. God is true. I put my faith in this word. I trust in this word. Yes, there are things that you need to do to study it, to understand it, to interpret it. Yes. 
But this is your basis for life. Christ, young people, don't give in to this deconstruction movement that's happening in your generation. Deconstruction where you start to question some of the words because you think that's cool. It's out of date. We need to update it. No, it's eternal. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will remain forever. You cannot go wrong if you trust your life to this book. You will if you trust your life to the crowd, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, talking about unbelievers, it says they are darkened in their understanding. They don't even know what's up. They don't even know what a man or a woman is. They don't even know when a life begins. I mean, can I just tell you that I expect that from the world? I expect confusion. So you got to start lowering your expectations from the nightly news. You put way too much confidence in what those people say. So you gotta lower your expectations for your preferred candidate. Lower your expectations from your unbelieving boss, your unbelieving coworkers, your unbelieving family. Please, stop expecting people to be wise, to have their feet on the, two feet on the ground, right? Because they're, they're alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. These are not pleasant terms, but it's talking about unbelievers. They have become callous. They have given themselves up to what? To sensuality and to greed. I expect worldly people to try to rip us off. I expect that. And it says this, they are eager, eager to practice every kind of impurity. In other words, it's never enough. They always want to go further. want to go further into immorality, debauchery, and sensuality. It's never enough. You, you think about it. I saw this on... on <laughs> I always got, to, I got to watch what I watch. And I saw this this morning. It was a post on Twitter in Indiana, some small school in Indiana. The headline, A drag queen won prom king. And at first I'm like, what on earth? But I'm like, oh, wait, wait, Ephesians 4. Yep, yep, that's right. That's how they should live. Because they are darkened in their understanding. They are confused. Unbelievers are confused and they, they are supposed to be because they don't know God, who is the light. It says this, but that is not the way, verse 20. You learned Christ. Can you just underline learned Christ there? You don't come to know Christ, you learn him. And you never stop learning him. If you feel like you need to no longer learn, think again. We learn Christ. What does that mean? I, I gain a little bit of insight every time I come to the Lord's word. Every time pastor preaches, I'm learning more about who Jesus is. And then it says, assuming you've heard of him, and we're taught. You need teachers who will teach you the truth that is in Jesus because there's lies everywhere. I expect the world to deceive and mislead. I expect the world to believe that men can get pregnant. There's a little, little man pregnant emoji. Did you see this? Pregnant man emoji now. This is from Apple. Brilliant minds. Utterly stupid people. <laughs> stupid. Okay, I, but we expect it. Darkened in their, I, you know, Scripture is becoming so true. The crazier the world gets. I'm like, 2,000 years ago this was said. 
Right? This, is, this is what's happening in our world. I expect our world to believe that two women can make a marriage. I expect lies and information, misinformation and, and confusion, but I don't follow it. I don't listen to it. I don't put my life in its hands because I learned Christ, the one who holds the universe together. The scripture says, Everything in all creation is held together by the almighty power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He holds the universe through the word of his power. If you want your life to be held together, put your life in the word of Christ's power. He'll hold you through the storm and the trial, the rejection of friends and the rejection of loves. The, the Lord will hold you in the palm of his hand and no one will pluck you out. Notice that verse 6 says this. Verse 5 says, the bridegroom was delayed and they all became drowsy and slept, but at midnight there was a cry. It, 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 get, it got darker. That's what happens at midnight. It gets really, really dark. It's supposed to get dark before Jesus comes. Just back up to Matthew 24, verse 29, and it says, immediately after the tribulation, those days, the sun will be darkened. It's going to get darker. And the light will not give us light. Who do you listen to? Who do you pay attention to? Do you have your ears tuned in? to his voice. Years ago, I went to the gym with uh, my wife, and we went, and joined, we went to this gym with another couple. And we were working out, and the ladies decided, at this particular gym, there was a track above the workout center where they could walk. So me and the guy, we went down to the, you know, to the, to the bench to do some bench pressing, and we were working out, and my wife and her friend were walking around on the track above. And the place was crowded, and it was very noisy, and it was all kinds of noise, and there was music playing on top of it, so everything was just very distracting and noisy. And, and my wife saw me from the track, and I didn't see her, but she saw me, and she saw me down there, and she just said this. She went, hey, just like that, hey, very quietly, just, hey. And I went, <laughs> and I realized that I was the only one that went, <laughs> do you know why? Because I have an ear that is tuned to the tenor of her voice. Believe me, sometimes I wish it wasn't so tuned. <laughs> but it is. No one else looked. No one else stopped. Just three words. Just th three letters. Hey. This is what God wants for you. The noise, the confusion, the music, the noise. Everybody working, everybody sweating around you. Yes, Lord. You're about to date the dude. Hey, yes, Lord. Not that one. Okay, Lord. You're about to buy the house. Hey, not that one. Okay, Lord. Not that one. Amen? Wouldn't that be good? Like that's what you could have, yes, what you could have for you. And then the clear things of the word about sexual morality and greed and sensuality and all these things that the scriptures warn us about again and again. It's not a hey, it's a hey! Don't do it! Destruction awaits, right? You start to flirt with a member of the opposite sex at the water cooler, and the Lord says, hey. It's not harmless to have your ear tuned. That's what he wants for you, because there's noises everywhere. Okay, number three, finally. It doesn't matter who you know. It only matters who knows you. 
It doesn't matter who you know. I mean, this is the crazy thing about our culture. Everybody loves to name drop, name drop. And uh, that's such a, so stupid, so foolish. We had a concert here in our North Outerboro location last night. Phil Wickham was here, and uh, I'm a big, I'm a big appreciator. I don't want to say fan, but I appreciate him. He's a gift to the body of Christ. People had lined up outside our church, lined up before they opened it, outside for one body, one member of the body of Christ. Do we not realize that he's just one member? That everybody in the body of Christ is valuable? That everybody that we see who loves Jesus is somebody who the blood of Jesus was shed for? Like that, but right now we're, we're in a room with other Christians. Do you understand the precious value that God your Father has placed on that person sitting next to you right now? Let us not get so worked up in who we know. Let's get more engaged in who knows us. And it says this in verse 8, The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going up. But the wise said, There's not enough. So go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Just on a side note here, there's no borrowing oil from someone else in the kingdom of God. God has no grandchildren. Can I tell you that on the judgment day, your statement to God will not be, but my grandmother went to Mass every day, Lord. It won't be that. You need to know Him. More, more, moreover, you need to be known by Him. Verse, two, uh, two, uh, verse 39 of Acts 2, when, Paul, when Peter talks about the Holy Spirit, he says, this promise is for you. That's just for, we're not a spectator sport here. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to Himself. What am I saying? What am I saying? Why don't you write this down? Because oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. I must have a personal encounter with the Holy Spirit. And notice I put Holy Spirit and not Jesus. Jesus gets you saved and gives you the Holy Spirit, yes. But then Scripture commends us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, to receive the Holy Spirit. John 14 to 16, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you say, I don't believe that. I believe I got all the Holy Spirit I need. Okay, well then why does Jesus say in Luke chapter 11, verse 11, he says this, what father among you, if his, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give? The Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. See, He's your Heavenly Father already by grace through faith because of Jesus. But you also have to ask Him for the Holy Spirit. What do you need to stand and be ready for a second coming? The Holy Spirit. And I think that there is a half-half of the church right now. Half the global church is just going through the motions and they're showing up on Sunday and they're going to services and they may even have their Bibles open on occasion, but they have no encounter with the Holy Spirit. They have no fullness of God in their life. You need it, man. You need this to keep your flame lit. You need it to keep your life passionate for the things of God. You need it to keep you on the straight and narrow, to understand lies from truth, to know what God's Word says and to understand it and to receive it and not to listen to the pattern of this world. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says this in verse 10, And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in. 
And then they came and the other versions came also and it says, they said, Lord, Lord. And that, that harkens back to Matthew 7 where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Lord, Lord, open to us. And he will say the very same thing he says in Matthew 7. I don't even know you. You went through the whole motions. You, had the, you looked apart, but I don't know you. So, Pastor, I, I want to know. I want to I wanna be known by God. Okay, all right. Here's how. At all of our locations, listen real close. Listen real close. Here's how, you, here's how you get to be known by God. Surrender your life into his hands and be okay with the results. That's it. To say, look, this is yours now, Lord. My life, my body, my mind, my money, everything. Yours. It's yours. And I, I don't want to be in charge anymore. I want you to be in charge. I don't want to be full of myself. I want to be full of you. And uh, take it step by step from that day forward. Sermon in a sentence. A last day's church is filled with the Spirit, full of God's Word, and intimately walking with the Lord. It's time for some of you to stop worrying about setting dates for the Lord's return, trying to figure it out, and start working on this. Say, Lord Jesus, change this. This, this bitterness needs to go. This unforgiveness needs to go. This, this confusion needs to go. This reliance on government and leaders in my life need to go. This, this high expectation from the news, it needs to go. This, this feeling of I'm not important until I'm followed or liked on social media, that needs to go, Lord. All that stuff is just, it's, it's useless in the courts of heaven. I want to be known by you. Would you stand with me at all of our locations? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? Because I want to give you that chance right now, right where you are, to be known by Jesus. You've got to confess you're a sinner. You've got to give, hand your life over to the Lord and, and, and ask Him to forgive you of your sins and say, I make Jesus Lord. I want to lead you in a prayer to say those things right now, right where you are. I want to lead you in a prayer to do that. So with your head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, and, and right now you just feel right now the Lord is speaking to you. This is your moment to get saved. This is your moment to have the Lord save you, to have the Lord save you. You don't need to save yourself. You need to let him save you. So right where you are, would you repeat after me at all the locations? You can say it quietly, but say it from your heart. If you don't know Jesus yet, this is your moment. Say this. Say, Heavenly Father, today I ask you to forgive me of my sins through Jesus Christ, your son. And today I surrender my life to you. Today I trust you. Today I hand my life over to you. Today I declare with my mouth, Jesus Christ is my Lord. In Jesus' name.